They gave us a Transformer toy for Christmas at work. Did they? What they give you? It was a custom-made one. It uh, basically it's a flash drive that turns into a uh, Panther. Oh, I've seen that. Ravage, yeah. Yeah. But it's a flash drive. It, it's, right. Yeah. It's a working yeah. flash drive. It actually has flash memory on it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Was it black? Yes. Yeah, that's Ravage. Yep. Because they actually made a they've actually made a bunch of those. Let me see. Sort of, sort of hard to put together. Well, the fun. Well, probably the fun thing for toy collectors on that. Um, Ravage flash drive. At least on the on the version that I know of. Um, oh, I don't know. I don't want to use its device label. That's what it was. Okay, the leg goes in this way. Okay, let's see here. Missing something. Oh, the tail fell off. Losing pieces. Well, this isn't diecast construction. <laughs> diecast. Diecast construction. It's a lost art. Neil <laughs> hated that line too. <laughs> I love that line. Um, here is the Cheetor version. This might not be what you have, but this is the one that I know of. There's also a Ravage version and a Tigatron version, but they're all the same. The difference is is that when you actually have it plugged in, you can have each of the characters, whichever one, you can have them do things on your computer screen. It was a whole gimmick. That's yeah, that's about the model I have, just black. Yeah, it's yeah, yours is the um yours is the Ravage model. I would show that to you, but because on the website that I'm using, it says it's sold out, and they won't even let me look at the actual image. So, oh, the tail fell off, so now it's a now it's a lynx. <laughs> the Webcast Beacon Network has been covering and promoting creativity and the creative process since 2007, starting with the Web Comic Beacon, a topical web comics podcast with a jovial bunch of misfits like your local morning radio show. Also, the Webcomic Beacon Newscast recaps, reviews, and discussions of community and industry news relative to comic creators, especially of digital distribution. Also, the Tropecast, the ever-tangential discussion of literary and visual memes. And finally, Web Fiction World. Before webcomics, there was independent and self-published web-release written fiction and literature. Find this all at webcastbeacon.com. Be sure to grab a master RSS feed or master iTunes feed and not miss a thing. Okay, we ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, well, let's hit it. Are you ready for some football? No. But it's Monday night. Monday night football's been over for the last 14 minutes or so. Okay. Murder Hello? <laughs> <laughs> say, Thank God I'm not the only one that gets screwed up on intros. <laughs> just, let me just say this really quick. It's commercials occasionally interrupted by a football game. <laughs> oh, so the Super Bowl. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Hello and welcome again to Animation Aficionados crossing over with Tooncast Beyond. Uh, we are, are continuing our look through the DC animated original movies. I am your host, Ben, joined by my co-host, TV's Mr. Neil. I'm smarter than the average. <laughs> oh, and we have with us the host of Tooncast Beyond, TFG1 Mike. Hello. And tonight we are talking about Batman Year One. Uh, Batman Year One, of course, is based off of the uh, groundbreaking uh, uh, graphic novel Batman Year One of the same name, 
published uh, by DC Comics, written by Frank Miller. This was the reboot after Crisis of the Infinite Earths for Batman. Uh, this was after Frank Miller finished his run on Daredevil at Marvel. And I remember lots of uh, people in the comics industry were making jokes. Oh, my goodness. Batman, you know, they're going to all ninja up Batman. And they were making jokes about that being a bad thing, even though, as we know, that's not exactly a bad thing. Um, <laughs> one thing I have to say about this adaptation is it's almost too faithful of an adaptation of year one. It's It's to the point where... I'm watching it. I know exactly. Yeah. I know exactly what's going to happen because I read the graphic novel, and if there's no deviation, there's nothing special about it. It's it's a perfect adaptation, and I think that's almost the weakness of it because because I remember Batman Begins, which took elements of Year One but totally made its own thing out of it, which which is what the genius is of an adaptation is you you know you do your own thing. This is totally you know exactly word for word year one and i think that really doesn't endear it to me honestly uh neil your thoughts um it was a little slow for me uh not having read the comics uh that didn't really bother me but uh you know this is only an hour long and just like last week's movie i was kind of looking at the looking at the clock and it felt a lot longer than it than it really was but it wasn't it wasn't bad. It was really slick and clean. It kind of has an anime style, but like I see in other shows, it's kind of that anime style. The way anime is not supposed to look, because I, I like I like classic anime where you have the girls with the big poofy green hair and stuff like and, that and expressive faces and Dur- part dirty of the hair. Is, and part of the thing with this for me is the art style is too clean. It's there was a rawness in the original graphic novel. The art is was so extremely raw. And the rawness itself had this sort of emotion. The heavy ink lines, the heavy, uh, the heavy colors, the heavy blacks. It, it sort of dripped to this noir feel that that really helped Year One because Year One was a was a du- was a story of duality between you know, Batman and Bruce Wayne, uh, Bruce Wayne and Jim Gordon, and and both of their struggle to do right by themselves and do right by the city, and you know, it's a classic noir story where you have two very opposite point of views, but they both intertwine and there's there similarities that weave in and out as they meet and then go off into their own tangents and meet again. That's that's classic noir, and it worked great in the graphic novel, but I think in the actual uh, in the actual animated format, it really didn't do it for me. And like I said, I think part of the reason with that is just the art style is so clean so incredibly clean that it loses all that raw roughness that made me love the the artwork in the comic. Yeah. Um, for me, this movie should be called Commissioner Gordon Exiled the Gotham. This is pretty much a full-on... I mean, I know they're both narrating a story, and they're, it, it's both of their point of views between Batman and Gordon, but... To me, this is more of a Gordon story and more of corruption in Gotham story than it is ever a Batman story whatsoever. I'm going to read one production note here. The film's producer, Bruce Timm, said that the original story arc is already cinematic, so the adaptation of film was straightforward. Brian Cranston originally turned down the role as James Gordon because he was unfamiliar with both animation and classic comics. Cranston said of this, I wasn't aware of this level of storytelling and animation. I confess that freely. Um, I think 
Cranston did an amazing job as Gordon. He's no, um, oh god, is it Gary Oldman? Yeah, yeah. He's no, he's no Gary Oldman from the Nolan films. But for what this is, and I, and I, I'm a person who has never read the original. For me, Batman Year One. For me, that story is Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, that's just the way I see it. Um, this film, I liked it. I, I thought I was, I thought I was, because it said it was anime style. I thought they were going to go back to the, one of the styles in Gotham Knight. Thank God they didn't. Um, but it just, I've watched the movie twice and I didn't even watch it before we started the record tonight. I, I was going to, but it was so fresh in my mind. I originally watched it when I first bought it, uh, through iTunes. Uh, I watched it for enjoyment then. And I liked it. I thought it was great. I liked all the different, you know, stories within the movie as far as the corruption in the police, as far as Batman trying to find his identity and all this and all that, or as far as Bruce trying to find his identity and all this and all that. Um, I watched it a second time about two and a half, three weeks ago before I wrote a little mini review on it. Um, I like it. It's okay. But Under the Red Hood is, at this point, Under the Red Hood is my favorite singular Batman movie in the DC Universe movies at this point. And I think that's exactly right, because Under the Red Hood is exactly how they should do these things, where they take, they took a, they take, they take a vague concept and they work from there. And as, as Bruce Timm said, they, they did a faithful adaptation, but I think that's what killed it for me. It's too faithful. It's way too faithful. And it's down to where I know exactly how each shot will go because I've seen it before. It doesn't surprise me. And in the art style is too clean. It doesn't wow me. It doesn't draw me in like that raw roughness that that comic had. And and one of the things they did actually add a little bit in here. The 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 fight between Selena, the uh, African American prostitute, and uh, Bruce Wayne in the comic was one panel long where Batman pretty much blocks a kick, says she knows karate, but only karate, and then lays her out with a punch. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's what I remember. The, uh, this, this really didn't wow me. It, uh, this really didn't keep my interest And I'm a big, I'm a big fan of Frank Miller's early work. Like I said, I loved his daredevil born again run. I loved, uh, the year one comic. It's right. But this this is too faithful. It is way too faithful. It doesn't add anything new to the to the DNA. It's a clone. It's a clone. As every as everyone knows, each time you clone, you lose something. And in some cases, you have parts in the movie that that uh, it. What am I thinking? Uh, parts of the comic that don't really work well as a movie because uh, it. Uh, like like the female character, the, the one blonde cop that comes in. She comes in the middle of the movie, and then she's gone before the end. Doesn't really have much of a character arc. Yeah, Detective uh, Sarah Essen. Yeah. yeah. it's uh, Her whole story arc is basically she, she's the temptation to, to, to James Gordon. And she leaves, and the temptation's gone. And it's something that's a lot more subtle in the comic, but the thing is, as the story went on, in the first couple of pages, when they first showed uh, Barbara Gordon, uh, you know J- Jim Gordon's wife, not the redhead, uh, when they first showed her, she was very she she was very beautiful, even though she was pregnant. But as the comic went on, the the artist drew her more and more plain looking, 
because it was sort of trying to offset the idea that James Gordon sees Barbara and he sees what he's always been with, and he sees Essen and Essen's just drop dead sexy gorgeous. Yeah. And that's that that's something that was in the comic, but because the art style is so clean and, and they're so always exactly on model, that's lost. Yeah. For me in this movie specifically, and more so the Dark Knight as well. Um I I grew up watching reruns of the Adam West Batman. I grew up on BTAS, I grew up on all that DCAU stuff. Uh, I grew up even on the the uh, Adam West, uh, Casey Kasem, Adventures of Batman and Robin cartoons. Barbara Gordon has always been James Gordon's daughter. It always puts me off at this point now when they're calling his wife Barbara. I know in the comics that's that's her name and that's fine and all well and good. But you have this 20, 30 year history of animation where Barbara has always been his daughter in animation. Are you giving the 87 Turtles argument where I, what I'm familiar with is right? Is that is that the argument you're giving right now, Mike? No, I it just no, what I'm saying is having Barbara as his wife it puts me off because that is not what I mean, I guess I am, but at the same time I I I don't take points away from the movie for it. It's just something that kind of throws me off at first because of what I'm used to. Um so, as so far as... you are saying exactly that, and I think that's very unfair because you limit yourself to new interpretations or even old interpretations you not, you don't know of. It's but on and... the other side, you know, you also have to think about that the the animation uh, market is larger than the comic market, so that's, that's absolutely gonna, that might true. actually throw a lot of people off. That's absolutely true, and I think that's part of the entire overall detriment of year one is, like I said, it's too faithful an adaptation. What are your thoughts, Neil, on some of the stuff in year one? Um, well, the one scene that I really did like is when uh, James Gordon and his wife, Barbara, go to visit uh, Bruce Wayne. And he's he's pretending to be drunk and he's got a prostitute there. And he does the Sharon Stone basic in- instinct leg cross. Yeah. <laughs> and the wife sees it. <laughs> yeah. that, that was great. That was pretty much the best portrayal in animation for the play, like playing up the Playboy angle of Bruce Wayne that I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Um, you don't normally see the Playboy side of Bruce in animation. I mean, every now and then it came out in BTAS and in Justice League, but it was way more subtle. And this was pretty much balls to the wall. Well, As- balls to something. Uh. <laughs> as far as the voice cast I'm going to save one person for the very end but we have Brian Cranston as Gordon you got Eliza Dushku as Catwoman slash Selena Kyle which I absolutely love Eliza doing the voice but I think she was way underutilized in this movie and sadly the iTunes movie the iTunes download did not come with the Catwoman short, so I have yet to see that. So Neil sent him the link. But, uh, but, you know, licensing ruined one of the best jokes in this cartoon. <laughs> What's when that? The, when the Selena Kyle, first time as Catwoman, decides to rob Commissioner Loeb, the, the joke is in the comics, Commissioner Loeb has an extensive collection of Disney memorabilia. Oh, God. Uh. 
Um, and, other... and like I said, that that joke is ruined because of licensing. They couldn't have they couldn't have a Catwoman rip off the head of a of a Mickey doll and throw it at the TV. Yeah, like in the comics. But like I said, other... that's that's that ruined the best joke in the comic licensing. Yeah. Other mainstays that people will know: uh, Katie Sackoff as Sarah Essen, uh, Jeff Bennett as Alfred Pennyworth, which. Uh, he was barely in it, honestly. He was, but uh, I think he only said one sentence. Yeah, probably. Um, I'm not Andrea Romano as the obstetrician, <laughs> so there's that. Uh, Stephen Root was Brendan. Um, James Patrick Stewart was one of the henchmen. Uh, okay, now well, let me get to the one that I left out here. <sighs> I wish they would have gotten Bruce Greenwood to do this movie. It would have made Batman a hell of a lot more interesting. It would have made me think of it more as a Batman story. However, they decided to cast Ryan fucking Atwood. Ben McKenzie. Now, I Ben McKenzie, I loved him in the OC. I love him on Southland on TNT. I'm sorry, his voice does not lend to either a good Bruce or a good Batman. The only, as Neil said before, the scene that he liked, the only time I really liked Ben's voice as Bruce was during that that Playboy scene. But his narration was so dull, it almost put me to sleep. Oh, it's, uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. That's, uh, yeah, it just overall... You know, it's sad because the the Ben McKenzie portrayal is so underwhelming. It, it you know Brian Cranston's Gordon pretty much carried this film, and oh yeah, and overall that that you know you do you do too faithful an adaptation. Number one, number two, you uh, number two you don't cast it correctly. I'm sorry, this movie isn't cast correctly, and I just think that this is. This is not that good a movie, and I actually feel bad that I own it. And the only reason I don't sell it is one thing. Uh, Neil is really happy because this movie comes with a built-in palate cleanser. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Catwoman short. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm not as... I don't think I'm as thrilled with the Catwoman short as you are, but there is the one part in it where... Uh, <laughs> God, what, 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 did the, what did they throw down on the floor in the, uh, in the stripper D- scene? Diamonds. Yeah, and... She does the splits, and I swear to God, I thought she was going to pick it up with her snooch. <laughs> <laughs> That's nothing compared to Catwoman's dance. <sighs> now that was a dance. Yeah, I just... Yeah, the I'm very disappointed in the iTunes features. Um, I'm very disappointed iTunes... in iTunes overall. So. Oh, let's not even go there. Um, but anyway... Uh, so as far as what it's made, it's very abysmal. I mean, the movie came out, what, uh, October 18th. So it's been out two months. It's only made $1,830,000. It sold 121,282 units. Uh, I, I think that's, I think it doesn't deserve much more than that. It's, I'm sorry to say it. I'm actually, like I said, I'm sad that I own it. I mean, I agree with you. It, you know, it's an overall decent movie if you're just looking at it that way and you're not analyzing it. But 
if you're someone like you, Ben, who's coming from the comics, and yes, a straightforward adaptation really it, it makes it too clean, as you said, and it you know there really isn't that much here for. I mean, as I said before, for me, I would watch Mask of the Phantasm over this any day because that is a better Batman Year One story for me. Well, exactly, and and that's the thing. Batman Year One has infected the the. DNA of what Batman is, but you should never just distill just year one and present it again because, you know, Batman Begins used a lot of DNA from year one. Uh, yeah. Mask of the Phantasm used some year one DNA, a little bit of year two as well. Because <laughs> the whole Phantasm story is based off of the Reaper story, but uh, that's a story yeah. for another time. Yes. Um, in total to this point, all uh, tw- uh, 13 of these movies have made $75,345,722, and they've sold 4869337 units. For 14 movies in nearly almost five years, I would say that's good numbers. I still can't believe that Doomsday still has the highest as far as the, as far as the money goes. Um... So, for me, as I said, I did buy this in iTunes simply because when you when you rent stuff in iTunes versus buying, you only get the movie. You have to actually buy stuff in iTunes to get the special features, and I thought the Catwoman short was going to be on the iTunes purchase. It wasn't, so I kind of wasted $15.89, but I was still open-minded to the movie because I had never read the comic, and I was like, okay, well, we'll see how this goes. And it was, nah. um, I'd probably, if it was on Netflix, I'd probably give it a three, but I'm probably really going to give it a two at this point. It's just, I don't know. What about you, Neil? I'll give it a two as well. It's eh, with another asterisk because, you know, it might be worth it for you to rent it if you really want to, but I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. I would give this a two as well. I, I bought it, and I don't think it's worth a buy. I think if someone can show it to you for free, it's worth seeing it if you're not familiar with the comic. This is pretty much a faithful adaptation, so you get to see what the whole of the hubbub about year one is, but I think you're really missing out because you're not, it doesn't have any of the rawness in that in that art. It doesn't have any of that rawness, So, but it has the exact same story, so yeah. a, a two. Yeah. All right, so we are going to take a break here on TuneCast, and we're going to go to some ads, and we'll come back to close the show after that. Okay. It's time for intermission, boys and girls. You can now hear the GeekCast Radio Network while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher is a free news and talk mobile app available for your smartphone. And when you download Stitcher to hear GeekCast Radio, you'll have a chance to win money. Downloading is quick and easy. Just find Stitcher in the App Store. During registration, hit the promo code box and enter GeekCast Radio, all one word, to get automatically entered to win $100. The latest episodes of the shows will be waiting for you and your favorites. You'll get access to lots of other amazing shows, too. Always available to you on demand. No syncing. Stitcher Smart Radio. Don't forget to enter promo code Geekcast Radio when you register.
Movie Week in Review is the GeekCast Radio Network's weekly movie podcast. Steve and Mike take a look back on their favorite films and give you their thoughts. They also bring in co-hosts at times. If you are a movie buff, listen to MWire only on GeekCastRadio.com. Hey, I'm Gary. I'm Greg. I'm Chuck. And I'm Justin. Join the four of us every week on the Internet's number one G.I. Joe podcast, What's On Joe Mind. That's right. It's Joe News, reviews, and special guests like you've never heard them before delivered right to your MP3 player. Think of it as Joe Talk meets Sports Talk. And we make fun of Chuck. Right. Hey. We're just kidding, Chuck. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes Chuck makes fun of himself. Right. Hey. It's What's On Joe Mind. Every week on the GeekCast Radio Network, InsidePulse.com, Stitcher Smart Radio, and iTunes. Download and listen today. Can I say something about Transformers? No! Grab your helmets because it's time to assemble Mask. Coming April 10th, 2012, the GeekCast Radio Network launches Mask Mayhem with your hosts Optimus Solo and TFG and Mike. This podcast covering all 75 episodes of Mask will feature in-depth analysis of every episode, talk on the toys, and more. Mask Mayhem will run 30 podcast episodes. You can find us in iTunes and on www.geekcastradio.com. Get your spectrums ready as podcasting is the ultimate weapon. Uh, yes, yeah, so during the break, uh, Mike... Oh, no, 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 hold on. I wasn't even recording yet. Wow, they should have made a movie out of Catwoman instead of Batman Year One. Yes, uh, during the break, Mike was able to take a peek at the Catwoman showcase short. And like I said, Batman Year One came with the automatic palate cleanser. Yes. <laughs> well, aside from that, uh, she didn't really have like a, a, real, a real conclusion in the actual movie. She's doesn't really have much to do with the plot at all. She's just kind of uh, there. Yeah, she's just kind of there. And this kind of adds an, an extra layer to that. You know, it kind of gives her a more satisfying conclusion. Honestly, I say this isn't the same Catwoman because in the uh, because in the actual uh, because at this because when looking at it, the the costume know, is different. The co- not only the costume is different. This is the modern Catwoman costume, but also the Catwoman in Year One is African American. This Catwoman obviously is not. Oh, okay. I mean, she, it's you know the, the skin tone's starting to get really light, anyways. But no, this one's definitely Caucasian. Yeah. Um, not to mention the actual the actual art style is a lot more interesting in this one. It still has that blank blank stare thing that Neil doesn't like. Yeah. But the bodies make up for it. <laughs> oh, yes, they do. I'm actually surprised there wasn't... I'm surprised that they were able to even put this on a PG-13 rated movie because at first I thought that uh, Red Bikini Stripper was actually... I thought we were going to actually see Full Frontal. <laughs> what do you think this is, Stripperella? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. No, this is way too well animated for Stripperella. Oh. <laughs> but uh, one thing we have to mention is just Catwoman's strip dance. Wow. That that was more of like gymnastics stripping than anything else. That was just awesome. What about, what about that zip all the way oh, down? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that went down quite a bit. Yep. And where'd she hide that whip? Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, it, and it doesn't hurt that 
well, it, it actually helps it, but it doesn't hurt that uh, Eliza Dushku provided the voice for it. Uh, that was Were you just... picturing Eliza Dushku doing the dance? Oh, hell yeah. Who wasn't? <laughs> don't don't tempt me. We might have to take another break. Uh, <laughs> ew. But this, this really, you, you know, I, I could sing the praises of... Uh, I can sing the praises for this all all day long because I think the cat because everything year one did wrong, Catwoman did right in like telling an original story based off of a piece of DNA versus yeah versus something else. And I know this movie caused a lot of people to lose pieces of their DNA, but <laughs> <laughs> but really, this is actually a, gr- a you know, like I said, the only thing that keeps me from selling year one is the Catwoman short. Um, now, and, but Mike's just stuck with it because he has iTunes. <laughs> Whatever. Um, now, kind of moving off of, kind of just to close the show here, I did want to bring up the fact that this this past week, well, by the time this airs, um, as of this recording, when we're recording this, uh, we have just gotten the Justice League Doom press release. And I can't wait till February 28th. The grand reunion of actors who provided the voices of Justice League for the cartoon of the same name and its follow-up Justice League Unlimited includes Kevin Conroy, Michael Rosenbaum, Susan Eisenberg, uh, let's see, Carl Lumley, and of course they have to bring in Bumper Robinson and uh, and a few other people. But yeah, um, we are getting all the Justice League voice actors... Uh, the Blu-ray special edition features for Doom will have a tribute to Dwayne McDuffie on it because Doom was, while well, well, Ass, All-Star Superman, was the last thing he was able to see before, you know, see and promote before he passed away, Doom was the actual last thing he worked on and that he wrote for. Um, one, one minor I, thing, though. One minor thing. There is no George Newbern. Yeah... You know what? I know people dump on George for that season one of Justice League, but it's really not fair because he he hit it out of the park after that. Really, it's not his fault. It's it's Bruce Tim and the writers' fault. Bruce Tim admitted it. Well, no, no, no. I I, I understand that. Who is playing? Is Su- Superman is in this though, right? Who Tim is Daly. Playing? Oh, okay. Well, that's fine. But but you say but I think it's just a, such a shame that every time they do a movie, it's like Tim Daly. Tim Daly, Tim Daly, and they're never calling George back, and George does a pretty damn good Superman. He does, you know. I mean, George Newbern is just in there. Come on, guys. George Newbern. I'm going to keep going until you're just a greasy smear on my fist. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) That was such an underrated performance, Ben. Come on. You could have put more into that. Um... (laughs) No, but I am so looking forward to that. Uh, Here on Tooncast Beyond, we will actually, because by the time this episode airs, this episode airs February 1st, 2012, there will not be a Tooncast Beyond episode until March 7th. So we're taking a month off in February because Doom doesn't release until February 28th, as I said. Uh, but I just absolutely can't wait to see it. I, I actually just added uh, the the trade paperback for the JLA issue on on my Amazon wish list, um, and I want to read that. I'd, hopefully, someone will get that for me for Christmas, and I want to read that before I actually see the uh, the movie. Uh, I've heard really good things of from Tower of Babel, and this is probably the only book 
at this point that I'm really excited to read before seeing the adaptation for it. Um, Because I loved all of the adaptations, like New Frontier and all that. I love those movies individually for what they are without having to read the source material. So... I think that's going to do it for us. Thank you for joining us here on the Tooncast Beyond Animation Aficionados crossover. There are several ways to get in contact with us to leave feedback for the shows. Visit the websites geekcastradio.com and animationaficionados.com. Leave the show's feedback in iTunes. Please do this. Follow us on Twitter. The show name there is Tooncast Beyond. Mine is TFG on Mike. Neil, what is your Twitter? Neil Saba. Ben, what's the A Twitter? A Aficionados. Become a fan on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash geekcast radio network and facebook.com slash animation aficionados. Call our voicemail line. Tell us the show you're leaving the message for and your name. 502-526-5821. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tooncast Beyond and Animation Aficionados and wish you'll join us next time where we will be continuing the DC Universe animated movie spotlight with Justice League Doom. For now, I am TFG1 Mike with... TV's Mr. Neo. And Ben. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Good night. (laughs) You guys always fuck it up. (laughs) I'm surprised you weren't able to find that uh, earlier, Mike. What, the short? I didn't look for it. I I, I don't know. I mean, I was was interested, but I wasn't... um, And obviously I wanted to see it, but it... But but by the time I had already watched Year One twice, I was I was done with it. <laughs> oh Neil, I found it. Found what? This is this is when I knew Sesame Street was dead to me. Uh oh. The day almost spoke. No, worse than that. Oh, funny. This is this is the no molestation song, Neil. This rabbit's worse than Bean Bunny, Neil. Wow. (laughs) And this whole song is basically teaching kids how to tell people about bad touch. So, so, yeah. (sighs) I need an adult. I need an adult. (laughs) Oh, God. Show me on the Muppet where he touched you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dude. I... As I said, I haven't listened to the end of Muppets, but please tell me you put a special letters unit in. No. Really? Do you no. even know what I'm talking about? I'm afraid not. Hold on. We, we really kind of... Hold on, hold on. Because there was so much content to cover. We actually skipped dinosaurs, which... Eh, okay. Dinosaurs but, wasn't that good anyways. But we we kind of, we really had to like skim by Sesame Street, even though there was a lot of ground to cover there. We hit the best parts of Sesame Street, though. Yeah. <laughs> In the alphabet system, there are twenty-six letters. The detectives who <laughs> Listening to this. <laughs> oh God. Oh my God! They made a they made a Muppet a Detective Munch. Yeah, they made a Muppet Detective Everybody. I could tell that was Munch just by looking at him too. Oh yeah.
Uh, the, uh, Muppet Stabler has too much hair. <laughs> well, it was probably in the early years of the show. Way too much hair. <laughs> Love the guy, but he, he's got the gene for male pattern baldness. Yeah. I'm sure we'll... I don't know when, because I don't know how... I don't know when the superhero spotlight's going to come back, but when we do the Doom episode, we're going to obviously bring up the, the other upcoming projects like Superman Elite and all that BS. Oh, Elite is going to be a piece of shit. Oh, I'm sure, but still. It's based off of what's so funny about Truth and Justice in the American Way, one of the worst comics out there because it misses the point of Superman, and so many idiots say, oh, it gets Superman perfectly. And those people don't get Superman there. <laughs> because the whole point of this story is this showdown at the end where Superman shows he could have killed these people, but he didn't. And that's why he's Superman. But that misses the point of Superman. <laughs> yeah. Upcoming projects. Superman versus the Elite in The Dark Knight Returns. Oh, God. They're actually making one off that. The Dark Knight Returns. On April 14th, 2011, it was revealed that two-part animated adaptation of Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns was in the works. Several previous Batman veterans will be involved. There we go. There's that unzip. Oh. (laughs) I like Will Duran Torso, so... (laughs) Um, But, yeah. I don't know. Um, has the new Batman cartoon started yet? The one with Alfred with a shotgun? Yeah, whatever is supposed to be following up uh, Brave and the Bold. Yeah, Alfred with a shotgun. Okay, has it started yet? Or no? No, Batman with a flat top and Alfred with a shotgun. Okay. Do we know when it's supposed to start? As soon as the uh, 10-day waiting period ends. (laughs) Uh, uh, uh. You're just full of bad puns tonight. Stay tuned, we have some bonus material from Space Captain Steve. Once we did get the dongle stuff, the Motion Plus, we were trying out a version of the Force Unleashed engine with Motion Plus one-to-one, and it was fucking brilliant. You could, the the coders had it, so you had a, uh, they had their apprentice running down a corridor, and instead of him just holding the lightsaber out like the animation was pre-canned, you could waggle, move the the, um, the Wii remote around, and he would sweep the lightsaber around as you swung it. So you could actually run and then jab it into walls and run along and drag it through the wall as you're running. It's like, that'd be awesome. And then LucasArts decided they didn't want to do the game with us. So. Oh. <laughs> that never went anywhere. It's one of those things. Uh, it happens on lots of projects. It wasn't like, it was just a, no, we, we, we'll do it elsewhere. Okay. So, Any new games you've been playing lately? Um, Neil, you there? I just yeah. want to make sure. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. I played that new EA demo for Kingdoms of Armalur, Reckoning, the, one of the worst titles ever, but 
the demo was awesome. Like it's very it's by the book. Like it's you start off and it's like, oh yeah, this is a bit of Skyrim and it's a bit of uh, God of War and it's a bit of uh, Fable. But like, damn, if I wasn't getting like, oh, this is kind of cool. I want to play more of it. So I stopped playing the demo. I'm like, I'll get the game when it comes out in a month or two. I think it's next month. But um, yeah, I played through Zelda. I made. Uh, I don't know why I did that. I, did, I really didn't like Skyward Sword at all. Oh, much. That, that's a shame. It's no. It's not like it's. Don't get me wrong. It's not bad. It's uh, there's some really cool stuff in it. Oh, my having the same boss like a boss battle that you fight three times in the story is a bad thing. Going back to the same locations four or five times. Yeah. Because you have to go back up because you want to explore and find stuff. It's like, hey, you've got to go back here because the story's going to take you there. And you just feel like it just feels really for a, for a game about flying around the sky in this big environment. It just feels really tiny, and it, oh, it just some of the stuff just drags on and on. And you just want it to end, but I, I did finish it. Um, but it's no Wind Waker. I I still love Twilight Princess. I think Neil got his opinion of it. It's a little bit better ever since uh, he stopped being the wolf. Yeah, yeah, the middle the, the middle of the game is good. The beginning is really slow, and the ending ending is really abrupt. I was like, "Oh, I'm at the end already." Maybe yeah. and you got to see Midna. Yeah, and that wasn't you, too bad. You don't get anything like that in Skyward Sword. It's it's kind of so vanilla. I think that I think that's the whole point. They, I think that's the whole point. They wanted they wanted to because Twilight Princess was very edgy. You know, Link, Link yeah, becomes a wolf and. Yeah, but you had Midna, and even though she was an annoying as hell character, and I don't mean annoying as in like that was the characterization that she was bitchy and stuff. She had character. Um, Fee, the sword AI thing you got, it's just you take the um, the fairy from uh, Ocarina of Time and make it more annoying. Ooh. If you, you could possibly imagine it's more annoying than that because not only does she go, you have the listen. So, okay, best example you're running low on hearts, the game starts beeping. Which is annoying enough in itself, right? Yeah. Then you get a little thing buzzer coming up saying, "Oh, the sword wants to talk to you." Fear needs to talk, so you got to bring up the, the dialogue box to talk to Fear. It's like, well, okay, what is it? Hey, you're running low on health. You should probably try and find some hearts. It's like, yeah, I know it's beeping. <laughs> it's stuff like that. Just like they handhold you through some of the most obvious stuff. That they go, "Hey, you need to do this," and just like you collect a new type of bug, which is like they got this whole collecting um, random drops thing happening. Okay, got it. So every time, every time you start the game up, the first time you collect one of these, these bugs, even if you've got like 50 of them, the first time you've, in the session goes, hey, you've just found one of these things. It's like, yeah, I know. There's like already 30 of them in my inventory. Thank you. Yeah. It's stuff like that. Goes, Why did you do that? That's stupid. Oh, did then, you, oh like the bug collecting girl in the, in the Twilight Princess. Yeah, but the bugs actually have value in this game. Like you collect them and you can actually upgrade the armor and weapons and stuff. And that's kind of cool. Okay, yeah. it's a. What did you get with collecting all of them? Like a, another heart piece or something? Yeah, but you can buy a potion, like a red potion, and that gives you like uh, I think six to eight hearts healing. But obviously, it's pretty useless later on in the game when you've got like got two rows worth of hearts. So you can then buy a potion plus. But to do that, you'd have these these ingredients, which are the bugs that you collect. Or sl- it's like no potions and stuff's not bugs. It's um, there's slimes and and honeycomb and all this other stuff you can collect through the levels. You might need like one slime, a honeycomb, and something else, or a feather. That'll upgrade the potion or potion plus, which just fills up all your hearts. And then once you've upgraded that, you can also, if you've got enough ingredients, upgrade it to a potion plus plus, which gives you two refills out of the one bottle. So you can have two full sets of hearts. Like stuff like that is cool. You didn't need it for the game. And it took longer to get the ingredients than it did actually to finish the game. But yeah, it's artificially lengthening the game. But the. 
it's just, it was a cool feature, but there's they explain some stuff great because they they beat into your head. And other things they they'll drop you into the middle of a boss battle and you go, what the hell? I don't know. And there's none of the cues you normally get on the, some of the older games. But like there's some good battles. Don't get me wrong. There's there's some there's enough stuff in there to keep me playing all the way through. But I really didn't like it as much as I think I enjoyed Twilight Princess more. But I enjoyed Wind Waker a hell of a lot more. Just the fact getting you out of the village and stuff in Wind Waker. And I played it again after starting Skyward Sword. Skyward Sword just sort of drags on and on. It's all they keep talking about how this you've urgently got to do this and urgently got to do that, and then it drags it out. There's no sense of it really being urgent. You know, like you've got to get to here in an hour or so, and then like you've been playing for four hours. It's like what? I'm still not there. Whereas like Wind Waker, it's like hey. It's your birthday, go see your sister, get the thing, go that, get that. Here's the pirates, oh god, get off the island. You know, it just feels like it's it's blitzing along and there's stuff to do. So, yeah, like I said, it's not a terrible game, but it's not not the best Zelda, that's for sure. Mm. I've been, I'm just anxiously awaiting March. What's in March? My birthday. You're waiting on my birthday, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, and no, the, what is March? the release of the final part of one of the greatest game trilogies ever. Blanking out. Mass Effect What's... Three. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess no. not. Not, not a fan. I love the look of it, and uh, some of the characters look interesting. It just no, it didn't do anything for me. Oh. But I don't. No, don't get me wrong. I, I, it's one of those. Oh, I don't like it, so I hate it. It's like, oh, yeah, it's just not my cup of tea. Okay. I do love. The, seriously, I do love the art style, and the design of the sci-fi stuff. They went for this their own thing, and it works really well. Um. I said, there's some great characters like Rex and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, like, they asked, like, oh, you know, if there was just more of that. But, uh, yeah, it just didn't didn't grab me. And I did love Arkham City. Did you find, uh, did you try and do all the Riddler puzzle stuff? Yeah, I, I eventually like was, did. I, I did all of it, and I just felt it was like, because that was my favorite bit in Arkham Asylum. It's like, you go through the game, and you have all these cool Riddler puzzles you can do afterwards. It's like, you've cleared the island out, and there's no one. And I was doing that, and I loved it. I thought, oh, great, there's more of that in Arkham City. And then Arkham City was, you clearly clear it out, and then you get to do the Riddler stuff. And it seems to keep respawning the bad guys all the time. It's like, I don't want to fight them. I want to clear the bad guys out and try and do all the puzzles. But I did do I did 100% the Riddler puzzles in the end of the day. But it just yeah, that, a lot of- well, the thing is, it has four times as many as Arkham City, Arkham Asylum. So you're like, no way I'm going to do, do all this. And then eventually you, you find yourself doing all this, and you're like, oh, why'd you do, why did I do that? Yeah, that's it. It's like if you'd be playing, it's like, how many more to go? And you'd like, you'd beat up the, the orange guy, and then you get, oh, look, there's more of them. Oh, no, the green guy. You know, the guy, the Riddler, um, junkie, funky guy. Yeah. They'd like, give you the extra, here's some more locations on the map. It's like, oh, cool. I wish you'd give me like a whole map chunk in one go so I can clear all that out. Because you just want to, you know, you just want to go, here's the stuff to clear out. Do all these puzzles. You've cleared that area out, move on to another area. Um, and we would have been happier. Doing that as opposed to you clear out one guy's worth of stuff, another guy appears like, oh, there are more there. I thought I'd clear this area out, but no, I, I love that stuff in the game, and I, they they did make the combat better, and I, I'm waiting for the next one now. That's the way it's going to work with me. I don't know how many bad guys are going to cram into it. We'll get, we'll get the C grade um, Batman villains. Yeah, but you know, at least the, at least Mister Freeze was in this one, and he wasn't just turned into a jewel thief, Neil. Yeah, he was kind of oh, cool. Yeah. I, yeah, that was that was one of the last episodes of the uh, Crap Man I forced Neil to watch, and that was the one that I actually got him the most mad. But the difference is, Paul Dini worked. I uh, wrote the stuff for Arkham City, 
which makes more sense when you think about it, why it's much better. Yeah, I actually, uh, <laughs> I actually tweeted Paul D a couple times about Arkham City, and he actually responded. Cool. But, I mean, I, I, as far as Batman stuff goes, Arkham City and Arkham Asylum are, apart from the um, Unreal, like the engine look of the characters, where everyone's really chunky and muscly, I actually really rate it really hard as one of my favorite Batman things ever. Probably like animated series first, then Arkham, the Arkham stuff, and then probably, to be honest, it would be the 60s TV series because it's got Batgirl. <laughs> Yvonne, what's her name as Batgirl? Yvonne Craig, yeah, no, that, that's, that's... And season three, which basically features Batgirl, specifically would be the most awesome part of it because Batgirl is awesome. I, I don't hear Neil saying nothing wrong with that. Why would it? You could You can't argue that point. I it's, know, but Neil likes to do that sort of interjection whenever someone mentions uh, a hot redhead. How could you argue? Because seriously, why do you think Blake Kitten has yellow and purple costume? It's Batgirl. Simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm getting Neil properly riled up. I think. <laughs> I think. I think I need to force Neil to watch some Teen Titans next because. Oh my gosh. Well, come on. There's worse stuff than those, though. Go yeah, back there and watch. Is. Watch some of the Super Friends, the bad Super Friends, where they had the yeah. Well, the he already he, he was, in the cape. well. He was watching. He was watching. Uh, Neil made a pretty good Super Friends connotation from watching the Crap Man. Yeah, because <laughs> he he did have the trouble alert. <laughs> <laughs> computer uh, that somehow knows when crime is being committed. That is how it works. That was in the real world. I mean, that's, that's how police work. <laughs> oh, we've got to go to the crime because the computer is gonna. Yeah, it's uh Wait, no, wait for um Oh damn, what's the Spielberg sci fi one with Tom Cruise? Minority report. They had the computer that could tell when crime was gonna happen. And it it carved intricate wooden balls for you to let you know. Like... You, you wanna know that the story for Minority Report was originally just a sequel to uh to Total Recall? Both short stories though, weren't they? Yeah. Originally. Well, I I'm just trying to break Neil's brain. Wow. It kinda yeah. makes sense on that front. But they'd be like I'm a Johnny Cab. <laughs> oh, man. What about the new... T- You've heard of stuff for the new Total Recall remake they're doing, right? Oh, yeah. oh, oh. Did you ever see the commentary track that Arnold did for Total Recall? No, I haven't seen that one. Oh, Arnold, my God. It's awesome. It's usually fun. Like, his, uh, his Conan one is awesome. <laughs> it's like, I'm watching the film and telling you what's happening. It's like, no, no that's not a commentary. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Total Recall... But at least in the Conan one, he's like, oh, look, I killed the wolves, and now I'm wearing them. <laughs> Here you go. This this is glorious. I think it showed this the deal once. Yeah, you did. Isn't it awesome? It's awesome. Because 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 I love how Arnold is like talking like talking like he's really clever. I, I can't imagine watching the whole movie like that. <laughs> well, do you think it's bad or funny? Funny. <laughs> Have you ever seen um the oh listen to the uh, commentary for Starship Troopers? Yeah, digital analog, digital analog. Having the two of them together in a, I think I've got Total Recall on uh, Total Recall. The only film I've I don't have on Blu-ray or DVD because I've got it on HD DVD, <laughs> like the one that has to plug into the Xbox. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't this awesome? 
Hey, he's he's earnest, isn't he? He's like, I'm just gonna. This is happening in the movie. It's like you're. It's glorious, isn't it? <laughs> it works better when it's cut together short like that. <laughs> it's just like it just has it all together. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> you can almost hear the other guy in the commentary group trying to stop him, and then he's realizing as the movie goes on, I'm just gonna let Arlo Arnold talk. <laughs> oh, no, the, the other guy is just as bad. That's the thing. Like the director is like um, Verhoeven when he does his commentaries. He's basically this is what happens next. And like and like the Starship Trooper, we just uh, just calling out if the shot it's an hour, a real shot and a digital shot. When the, when the special effects, like, the writer was like trying to talk about how this um, this this scene was paced out. And he was trying to tell this and that. And then Verhoeven's in the back of going digital analog digital <laughs> analog. It's like shut up, we we get it now. It's like this guy's talking about why he's trying to get the themes of the characters, and it's like digital analog. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this, I, I love this part. It's uh, oh my god, this is so bad. <laughs> he actually gives a commentary about the three breasts. <laughs> You're watching again, aren't you, Neil? I'm listening. <laughs> Consider the voice, Maria Driver. Too soon? Never. <laughs> Could you imagine Andy doing like the commentary for Inception? Oh God! <laughs> it's like and he spins the top at the end and then it doesn't fall over, so it's no, you know, it's real and not real. Do you reckon he actually sat there and watched it first before he did the commentary to to remember what the bits were so he could sort of recount them to the... Oh, God. Because he never comes up with, like, any anecdotes about, oh, on the set that day we did this or this. It's like, it's just like, this is what happens. And it's, all his commentary is like, are you just watching the film and telling us watching the film? Because... Yeah. Yeah, this is a great line, consider a divorce. <laughs> oh, I love it. <sighs> That's one of the best bad commentary tracks ever. Yeah, watch the Starship Troopers one. It's got, it's got no Arnie, but Verhoeven is the Arnie of that one. <laughs> Are you sure it's it's as good? Because this is pretty. No, no, because Arnie Arnie's just talking about stuff. <laughs> On the Conan one, you've got John Milius and Arnie talking about stuff. That's really good. But... And then I <laughs> kill the dogs, and then I'm wearing them. <laughs> Yeah, cause, but this one's like, but you got the director, the guy who's supposed to have thought about the film. You can understand an actor coming in and going, yeah, yeah, I have did my shots and I go off and I haven't seen the film in 20 years. But Verhoeven's in there and it's like, he's just telling you what's happening, the same, exactly the same sort of stuff. We did this shot and this is a model. I, I, I know, I just I just love the fact that you could actually hear the, the other guy on the commentary trying to try to like interject with some thoughts, and then he realized like 20 minutes in, you know what, I'm just going to sit gonna back, I'm, yeah, I'm going to let talk. Arnold just talk. <laughs> That's what you got. And you know what? He made the right call. Just let Arnold say whatever he wants. Yeah, this is this is the part where I cheat on Maria Strava. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon? 
Oh, did you see the girl, the woman he actually cheated with? Yeah. Wow. Apparently, he's like he's like uh, intimidated by pretty women. Wow. Apparently, that's actually a problem that some men have. You know, you're rich, you're famous, but oh, you don't want a pretty woman. You want someone that's like, well, like that. Oh. Yes, apparently it is a problem. So, uh, let's see here. Uh, Neil, you got time to watch another rep tonight? Actually, no. Oh, I wanted to torture you some more. I think I've seen enough. Well, uh, we have to start on Teen Titans because someone wants to defend that, too. <sighs> Does it hurt? We already did Teen Titans. You saw, you saw only the movie, and they're going to use that against you. Fucking feel like a dog returning to his vomit. <laughs> the series wasn't much better. It was just them trying to do a Japanese cartoon. And it's like, I have Japanese cartoons already. Why don't I just watch those? <laughs> well, you know, Neil, when you jumped on this podcast, there were going to be some painful moments. Yeah. And we went through a lot of painful moments. I mean, we, we, had, to, we had to uh listen to Blanchard... I came in on a painful moment because my first episode was X-Men. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's see here. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Three-Breasted Mutant. William Shatner sings Fuck You. Oh, Arnold actually did a commentary track of Commando? Oh, jeez. Is that Steve typing? You, Jenny, in the yard, feeding her golden and... Oh, it's a it's a it's a gag. It's not really Arnold. It's a guy pretending to be Arnold doing a job with commentary track. You're trying too hard. Yeah, I've heard a lot of Arnold impersonations where they they do him kind of like angry, like in Kindergarten Cop. No, yeah. no you have to do him like really low key and boring, and that's how, <laughs> that's and that, what that's what sells it. Yeah, that's what sells it. It's a, it's not a tumor. Yeah, that's the wrong Arnold. <laughs> I'm as dull as a bag of hammers. <laughs> I talk. I put you to sleep. <laughs> This, this is, is the, me acting in this scene. <laughs> this is the part that was of the a movie. wipe. This is the part what? of the movie where we fight. This is a brutal fight. Oh, that hurt. Ha ha! That was a funny gag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> something's wrong with the prop, and the prop goes crazy. <laughs> Look at me, odd living. I'm clever. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part where they roll the credits. And I get, I get my paycheck. This is the part where I get paid again because of the residuals from you watching it. <laughs> this man ran a state. <laughs> so did Jesse Ventura. Yeah. <laughs> Which do you think was worse? I don't know. <laughs> Neil is actually considering which was worse. Arnold Schwarzenegger running a state or Jesse Ventura running a state? Actually, I think I've heard that Jesse Ventura wasn't bad. It was kind of stupid. You know, Clint, Clint Eastwood was a mayor of a town. Crickets. Crickets. Not much to fuck up with the town, though, you know? Yeah. Oh, sorry, my, my, I was on mute. Was, the town was Carmel. Yes. But. <laughs> Were you just listening to us? I did. That, that stupid mute button on the switch turns on and off without. Oh. Like, it's really touchy sensitive. So, like, it, it falls down. It's like, oh, I'm muted. And you look, it's like, oh, that's why no one's been hearing anything I said. Oh. What were you saying? 
I was about Arnold impersonation. <laughs> yeah. It's like Arnold talks like back of his throat like this. <laughs> Keep getting to the chopper. Get to my the wife, chopper. Maria, my wife, Maria Striver. <laughs> Ex-wife. No, it's not my wife now. But she was my wife. And then, oh, look at that. I'm hitting him very hard. <laughs> <laughs> Continue a divorce. <laughs> yeah. But um, I was about to say about it head off. It is now 10 to 3 in the afternoon, and I'm going to get some groceries before their shops shut, and I can't eat anything tonight. Okay, well, get some kangaroo meat. You know, I might just do that, but not today. Okay. That's a story for another day. All right, well, get some Wagyu beef. Oh, that's expensive. It's all marbled. No, I'll avoid that one. Okay. But good chatting with you guys again. All right, good. We'll, we'll have you back for another episode. You want to be in the, which one again? If you want to do a holiday special cartoon episode, I'm in. Okay. I'll... Okay. Okay. So thought... Go watch it. Grab the Blu-ray. It's the only thing. It's well, how do you get the Blu-ray? Is good. You go to the uh, extras disc that has the um, all the hidden stuff with uh, the the what's it called? The archive stuff. Where they show you all the costume stuff. You go to the Boba Fett section. I think it's an Empire. Where they have all the stuff, the costume design and concept sketches and all the Boba Fett stuff. And you look through that menu, and they have the holiday special cartoon. Just the cartoon. And it's boarded, but it's basically DVD on a Blu-ray size image. And it's impeccable quality. It's all there. Neil, are you ordering the Blu-ray right now? I need a Blu-ray player, but <laughs> yeah, I need to get that. <laughs> oh my! Like, God. That's that's all you really need. You don't need the rest of the holiday special. You don't, no, you don't need Terry Fisher adding words to the Star Wars. Uh, thing. Oh man! Please, <laughs> I just I just ate for this. <laughs> Guys, in 1995, this is after the dark ages of Star Wars, where there wasn't a lot of stuff going on. I was I was sitting at work at my drawing desk, and all of a sudden, I, I should, you know, I turned around to the guys going, there's words to the Star Wars music. And it all came funny back. I remember that she actually sang a song on the holiday special. I literally had totally forgotten about that. No one had ever mentioned it. There was no YouTube to check the stuff out, and they had no copies. But I just remember, like, stopping going, there are words. And it all came flooding back, like, horribly, like, Oh, God, she sang a song with Star Wars. She was high off her rocker. Yeah, she was coked oh, out of <laughs> mind. And you got Mark Hamill with his Aunt Beru haircut, doing his best impression, like that blow-dried fringe thing that Aunt Beru has. Uh, he's got so much makeup caked on for television. It's like, well, that, that, well, that was that after his accident. Cool? Yeah, but his hair wasn't. <laughs> I remember him touching a problem with his hair. It's like, no, they made him look like Aunt Beru. It's like the makeup guy's got the wrong photos for reference. How did he look like in Star Wars? <laughs> Uh, that, that, that looks a bit like Mark. I guess that's what it looked like before the accident. My <laughs> <laughs> love is my love is Harrison Ford. It, when he's in the cockpit, he is acting his heart out. Ah, oh, yeah, he's he's in there. But and then as soon as he walks onto that set, he 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 just like you can just look at his face. He's like, okay, I'm uh, on a TV special. Phone it in. <laughs> Yeah, you see that shot fluttering? Did you know where they've got the Millennium Falcon cockpit? They keep showing with the, the Chewie and Han's legs sit out the front of it because it was the is the TV one, not the one in the movies. Yeah, yeah. And that Imperial Commander guy is like, ah, oh, yeah. There's so much bad stuff in that. And yeah, It'd be I, Arthur. She's probably the best thing outside of um, outside of cartoon. cartoon. It's like, oh, it's the cantina. The monsters are back for a bit. Oh, there's a song. Oh. And yet all the art carny stuff. And then you've got... Um... Wasn't Harvey Corman in drag in that? <laughs> yes. Yeah, he did, he did a cooking special. Oh. No, it was a, 
It was like a cooking show that someone in yeah. Star Wars is watching. And you know what? what? One guy I know actually says he likes the Star Wars special because it shows, like, other than a galactic war, the Star Wars universe is like is like Futurama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably the best explanation for it. And, and, and when he said that, like, it, it, it like clicked. It's like, you're right. If they weren't for an intergalactic war and, like, uh, Luke was a delivery boy. <laughs> well, that's all Han is. He's a glorified delivery boy. You know, oh, you dropped that pizza on the first side of Imperial Entanglements. You know, the whole hint, the whole hinting of that was he's a drug runner. Well, it is spice, and and the, the spice universe must had, flow. Yeah, it's like George did rip that off from uh, June, and sorry, uh, appropriated it. In art, we call it appropriation when you steal stuff. It sounds more official and nice. <laughs> but anyway, I got I got to move. All right, All I got right. to move it, move it. Yep, I got to move it, move it. It's <laughs> <laughs> a double reference. <laughs> I'll catch you guys later then. All right, good night, Steve. Yeah. Bye-bye.